Welcome back to Seen It Before, where we're probably going to say something stupid about your favorite movie because we've seen it all before. I'm Danny. I'm Dan, and I don't have a clever comeback today. I, I had one I thought I was going to do, but you know what? We don't, we don't have time for that shit today. Yeah. So we are – this is a part one of a new four-part series we're doing going from the end of the season into next season. And it's a, it's a pretty big franchise, I'd say, that we're yeah. going to do. Right, Danny? Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. And uh, we have a special guest with us uh, today and probably the whole series. But. Probably, the, hopefully, the whole series. <laughs> Our resident Harry Potter expert now, as I have just dubbed him, James Andre. Hello, or, how's it going? Or whatever you want to call him. I don't know if he wants to go by his real name or not, but it's fine. I'm good going by James. <laughs> James, Jamie, Jimothy, you know, all the. All it the all people. works. All of it works. <laughs> yeah, and uh, tell, us, tell us what we got behind there, behind you right now, James. That's a, that's a pretty yeah, cool little. Got a rotating slideshow of different screen grabs from uh, the first two Harry Potter movies. So Even that screen grab looks a little older than uh, the it first does. two movies. Um, no, it's, it's from not. Two. Is it from I two? Think it's just the angle. It's from Damn. two. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Huh. Anyway, um, yeah. So we're gonna get to these first two movies. We're gonna do two movies on each of these episodes. So first two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's how we're gonna do it in this series. So let's get to uh, the Sorcerer's Stone and the Chamber of Secrets. So, Sorcerer's Stone. Um, Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, it's uh, it was the first Harry Potter movie directed by Christopher Columbus, and um, yeah, uh, I, I liked it. I think like we it? need. I think we need to mention first that uh, recently, as of releasing this episode, it is Danny Radcliffe's birthday. So yes. he, July twenty uh, third is his birthday. So he is very much a Gryffindor. Yeah. <laughs> Very, you know, zodiac bullshit they got going on with these houses. Yeah, like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Well, I, my house is Slytherin, I guess. Yeah, and we were gonna wear our house colors, but we all we all forgot. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I, oh well, I'm, I'm home. I'll go get changed real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Hufflepuff, James. What? What? Are you? Uh, I'm a Ravenclaw. Yeah, we got all different through. ones here. Interesting. We don't have a Gryffindor, though. And no one's a Gryffindor, which yeah. usually everyone thinks they're a Gryffindor. Yeah, right? It's just like they're the popular kids. It you is know, the, like is, yeah. like I just want to be with the cool kids, you know? Yeah. But yeah, Slytherin is where it's at, just saying. Okay, take it easy. Because we're the villains. We're the bad guys of yeah. like the entire series You're for no reason. ambitious ones. <laughs> <laughs> is Rowling trying to say ambition is evil? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> All right, well, let's... uh. Let's dive right into this first movie here. So it starts off with, you know, typical, well, not typical, but the introduction of how Harry Potter got to be with the Dursleys. And, yep. you know, we just, on how his Privet whole drive. life just fucking sucks. Yeah. The Dursleys. He lives under the, under the, in the cupboard under the stairs. And, he, you know, he's got like a sleeping bag for his, his, his bed and it's awful. Yeah, he's got sucks, like man. two action figures. Like, who, how can a kid survive with two action figures? And they're and they're not even cool ones. They're just like they're like um, horses and shit. Yeah, Dudley's just a little shit. It's <laughs> dumb. Anyway, I just want to make it clear: uh, it's Sorcerer's Stone, not Philosopher's Stone. So, <laughs> okay, I know the British. We're American. Yeah, we're American. <laughs> um, so right off the bat, actually, something I want to bring attention to is uh, some stuff from the books that gets missed in the movies. And especially big part of that is some foreshadowing yeah. that gets missed. And in this scene in the books, Hagrid mentions how he is riding Sirius Black's motorcycle 
Um, it's the first reference directly in the oh. first chapter to him. Um, and obviously in the movies, we don't meet him until third. Oh, that's, that's really cool. I, I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah I read the, the books, they reference him right away. I read the yeah. books, uh, all, all the way through when they first came out and like you know I was I was one of those kids who was like super hyped for like in 2007 when the seventh one came out and mm-hmm. um, 2007 yeah I thought it was later than that holy nope. shit 2007 <laughs> and then uh hmm. yeah so I read all the books then and I and then I reread the first three during when I was in college and it was pretty good you know but I I, I you know I forget everything so yep <laughs> so yeah like re- anything in the first three books or in any of the books i just forget other than like um i know what peeves and um i think that's it i think that's yeah, just peeves peeves of the, the um, slytherin ghost peeves was very very close to being in the final movie um they had a person cast to play him they had scenes recorded with him in it uh, but he ended up getting scrapped at the end. Um, something Columbus has recently said he'd love to see the original director's cut released because it was originally a three-hour movie when Bring it was on first the Columbus uh, cut. <laughs> yeah, yes. nowadays we can do that because you know Zack Snyder had a freaking four-hour yeah. movie. You know, mm-hmm. Endgame was three hours, Batman was three hours. So like we can. They do could it. definitely release Harry Potter as a three-hour cut and comfortably make profit off of that. Oh, easily. easily easily it's a I mean, phenomenon still even today like uh, oh, harry potter is popular harry potter today. is not fantastic not fantastic because like the <laughs> yeah. franchise now like secrets of dumbledore just came out and recently yeah. recently yeah it's like and it's tanked you know it's not i haven't even seen it nor do i necessarily want to and this is a, coming from a huge harry potter nerd yeah it's and like, i have no desire to see it it really. seems like ever since cursed child like the whole brand is kind of taking a bunch of hits and i think that's mostly due to um jk rowling thinking that she can write different types or different mediums of stuff i think she went back to books instead of doing screenplays and teleplays and uh uh, what's it called just plays in general (laughs) um (laughs) that like it would be a lot better yeah and all right, so let's get back to the movie for a little for a little bit here. Um, the first real scene I want to talk about is the owl scene where all the letters are being delivered and everything. Wouldn't the neighbors be like freaking the fuck out if there's all these owls around sending letters? Yeah. Like it's a <laughs> it's a little weird. It's not your average. Uh, it would definitely make the day, news. You know, the London suburbs or whatever. Oh, so that's actually really funny you say it would make the news because in the very first chapter of the first book it is brought up on the news how there have been insane owl patterns on the night that harry potter went to the dursleys voldemort was ultimately uh they thought was killed yeah they mentioned how it was brought up on the news about the unusual patterns and migrations of owls in england huh yeah well, so it, it was on the news. Really thinking of you know, it's like, and, and I gotta give I gotta give JK the, credit there. The book is a, uh, a lot more shit in the book than in the yeah. movies. So oh yes, a lot more in depth stuff. Yeah, the and, first like third of the book is him before going to Hogwarts. There's a lot of the book before Hogwarts. Yeah, and that's that's what I like uh, like with books as a medium where it's like you don't have to like you can take your time. Like you don't, it's, it's like kind of like a TV show, but then you still have to like make a good episode, you know, week to week. So, but with a book, you can just, you can just do as much world building, you know, cause like people say there's the entire set, there's entire, there's entire books that are just exposition for a world. 
and Dune. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not a book, is it though? Dune, yeah, that's a, that's it was a book. A book? Okay. Yeah, that's a whole series of books. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, all exposition. Yeah, basically. <laughs> oh, this is something you mentioned, Danny. Actually, uh, Aunt Petunia versus Harry Potter's actual mother. This is something you wanted to talk about. Yeah, like, I mean, I think them? we had some sort of talk where, like, like <clears throat> while we were watching the movie, where like you said something where it was like, "Why does she? Why does like Aunt Petunia hate Harry so much?" And like, because it's it's mostly her hatred. Of Harry that like that kind of gets passed on to, to uh, Dudley and Vernon, mm-hmm. and uh, that's because she's always been jealous that because she's a Muggle and uh, you know uh, Lily is a uh, is a, was a witch. That's a name I could not think of. Yeah, I just, I just popped in my head. <laughs> hey, there we so. go. <laughs> but yeah, cool. just, so it's just like sibling rivalry taken way too far and um, petty sibling rivalry. Yeah, yeah. And James, uh, I do have a theory. I'm not sure if you know this one. Okay. Uh, the reason why the Dursleys hate Harry. You know that one? Uh, no. Elaborate. So there's a theory out there where um, we, we find out what Horcruxes are towards the end of the series. And we find out oh, that Harry yeah. is a Horcrux. And we find out in part, Deathly Hollows part one that um, you know, it makes the, the wearer of the Horcrux or like in vicinity of it uh, hatred. Basically, huh. and, and just angry and just all these bad emotions, and people theorize that like that's what happens. That's what's happening to the Dursleys, where they just hate him irrationally because he's a Horcrux. Yeah, huh. yeah. I, I have heard that. Now that you, once you yeah. elaborated on it, and I fully on board with it. Sounds good to me. <laughs> cool. The only reason where like I I don't I don't fully believe it is because he's around everybody else in the movie and they love him so. You know, like like Ron and Hermione, like they're best friends. You know, with him. You mm-hmm. know? So, you know, it, I don't know. Well, I love the whole introduction of Hagrid. You know, the mm-hmm. family at their absolute wits' end, um, <laughs> going to extreme lengths to separate themselves from ever interfering with this wizardry business. They yep. go to an island in the middle of the ocean, and then Hagrid busts in, and I just I love the introduction of him. He's immediately thinking of Harry with the birthday cake and giving him something he's literally never had in his life. He's never had a birthday cake before and he's 11 now and he's getting his first one. Um, and I love the idea of Hagrid being the first person to introduce him to the world um, to really break that ground. Cause he himself is an unusual fellow. Obviously he's half giant and takes up half the room just being in it. Yep. Um, so clearly it is, not your usual person you'd run into for anything, <laughs> let alone to take you off to a magical school in the middle of Scotland. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I love the introduction of Hagrid and seeing him just burst through the door and <laughs> treating Harry immediately with kindness, something he has never really experienced in his life. Um, and giving him his birthday cake, which even though it was a little smushed from the, the ride in, yeah, <laughs> still a cake. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that I wish um, happened in the series, and this is kind of o- the series overall, is that it, Hagrid, he's such an in- integral part for the first two movies. And he, like, you know, there's multiple scenes with him. And then he kind of be- becomes more of a background character as we kind of grow older. Maybe the whole theme is that, like, as Harry grows up, more, the darkness kind of uh, embodies his life. And Hagrid is just, like, nothing but warmth and happiness. Mm-hmm. So that could be it. But, like, I miss the guy towards the end of the series, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Most certainly. I just remember um, 
<laughs> the, his uh, Dudley's line reading, they must have messed up in the editing room or something uh, when he gets his presents on his birthday or on, on Dudley's birthday. Okay. Uh, he's like, he's like, uh, Vernon's like, how many, how many are there? And he's like, 36, counted them myself. And he's like, 36, but last year, last year there was 37. Like, he, wow. he says last year twice. And I'm just like, I, I remember that instantly from when I was a kid, just like watching it so many times. I'm just like, they fucked that up. <laughs> you sure it wasn't like a stutter type of thing? I mean, it could have been, but like it's, he says it like the exact same way. Like last year, last year I had 30, you know? Oh, didn't even notice that. I don't know. Okay. My okay. weird, my weird, I pick up on weird your things, weird, I guess. Your weird brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My weird lizard brain. Lizard brain. Lizard brain. Oh my. All right. So let's get to Hogwarts. All right. We're now at Hogwarts. Uh, he's actually, no, let's go to Diagon Alley. Sorry. We, we, we skipped right over Diagon Alley. So, yeah, Diagon Alley is like, the, like a really good part. <laughs> Diagonally. <laughs> Which we'll talk about in the second movie. But. Yeah. Yes, and I have a few things about that scene in particular to talk <laughs> hit, about. Hit it. Go ahead. No, no, from the second movie. That's in the second movie. Oh, so we're the on next the first one. Diagon Alley. Thanks. All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but in the, I know in the book, um, this is where Harry meets uh, Malfoy for the first time. Because he, like, he, they start having a conversation in the, in the robes department. Or the yes, robes store. Flourish and Blots. Oh yeah, so they they bring that up. That's the store they go into in the second one, right? Yeah. Um. Well, that's the name of the robe store, Flourish and Blots. Oh, uh, okay. But that's yeah, where he meets Malfoy. Uh, and then, and the so that yeah, they meet. They and they, like you know, at first they kind of get along a little bit, and then find out that he's a magical racist. So a magical <laughs> racist. Wow. Yikes. Yeah, and they immediately introduce him as a mama's boy who's clearly being taken well care of by his parents, quote unquote, well taken care of, yes, but yes. he's well off, I should say. Yeah. Um, and they immediately introduce him as this conniving little piece of crap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's Malfoy's like entire like well in the first part, his entire character, he's just a little shit. Yeah, <laughs> he's a shit stain. <laughs> there's like, the, obviously the iconic scene of him actually getting the right wand and yeah just, yeah this yeah, hair kind of you see all over the place it's like i wonder how they did that with like uh, to make fan. his hair stand up fan. no but it's like his hair like stands up <laughs> oh. it's not like it's blowing i'm probably just like you know strings strings <laughs> <laughs> um i love that scene because it sets up uh, the very first bit of foreshadowing for him being a Horcrux, him being connected to Voldemort, because Ollivander does the whole, um, there's only been one other wand that shares that core, and it's the same wand that gave you that scar. Um, and it really sets up how they're connected. They are. There is a piece of him inside him, and that's why it is attracted to this Phoenix Feather wand. Um, yep. The only other twin wand of that type in existence. Um so I think it does a really nice job of foreshadowing that uh, for the very first time. That's something you won't even know about till the sixth True. movie slash book. Fair point. Um, yeah. So then Harry kind of meets, you know, Ron and Hermione at that point. Or no, he meets Ron at that point. Yeah, we don't meet Hermione till the train. Ginny in there too. So there's one thing I want to mention about Ginny. She looks a lot like fucking Lily, and it bothers the hell out of me. <laughs> it's like, oh my yeah. god. <laughs> Talk about mommy issues. Yeah, yeah I would have a have a fucking day on that. Like she, <laughs> like she literally grew up to be Lily. Like they yeah. look so similar. It's scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
Wait until you get into the deep dives of all the fan theories about how every wizarding family is related and it's all incest. Ah, yes, and... incest. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but like, that's very Game of Thrones. But like oh the the Malfoys are like the most incestuous because like they're like pure blood. So like all the pure bloods are like yeah. really incestuous. Yeah. So like they're like we don't even. The only it, pure blood families are for sure the incest families. Oh they, they, they there's lines in the books that even says like even the most pure families are not fully pure magicians at this or wizards at this point um because of how singular that bloodline was because the whole theory is that um england's wizards came from three brothers which we learn about in the seven yeah, it's the deathly hollows right yeah huh. interesting yep yeah so <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd like to see like an, maybe like an origin story uh about magic hmm. in this world like how this world became a, th- a thing Mm -hmm. well yeah like a game of thrones type thing like a very old school you know yeah they go back to medieval times or something more back than fantastic beasts is even more back than the harry potter game that we're gonna get is like just yeah i'm excited for that game too i want merlin at hogwarts that'd be so cool it is confirmed he was a hogwarts student and in fact he was a slytherin oh interesting interesting yeah 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 One thing I want to highlight, though, is like this is kind of like our generation's franchise. Like, um, I guess with the newer generation, the Gen Z is kind of more like the MCU's their franchise. But this, this one, these eight movies were definitely ours. You know, like we we grew up with the with all the uh, with all the actors. We 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 sort of had this discussion at some point, but I still think the MCU is our franchise because it's still going. Harry Potter died fucking die with the, set, the eighth movie <laughs> like it did so mcu is still going but it did as when we were kids yes well did. i think there's definitely a handoff with the mcu happening right now yes to a different generation i mean True. is it a coincidence that the mcu started a year or so or two before harry potter ended it was right about Dude. there yeah so yeah, it was like, it was like a, a transition before. to kind of just go into that and yeah it, it it's pretty seamless, I think, because we're all still watching these movies and we're all still just as interested in these movies in this universe yeah. as a whole. Mm. It's it's great. Yeah, kind of love movies. Uh, Warwick Davis um, is the mo- or third highest paid actor in the world, and I think that's just crazy because he because yes. he eventually plays Grip Hook mm-hmm. later on, mm-hmm. but he plays Professor Flitwick and um, no, yeah, just Professor Flitwick because then they they gave him a redesign in the. Th- third movie or something, something the like third that. movie yeah. yeah 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 so you know it's, it's just crazy to think that he's like the most like he, he's not in a lot of movies he's in like just the highest grossing movies like he's he's in star wars he's a um, franchise guy yeah he's a franchise guy. he's in every star mm-hmm. wars movie i think or from from return of the jedi that was his first role and then um yeah so it's it's just weird because he's like he's right up there with um Robert Downey Jr. and Samuel L. Jackson, I believe. Those are the two and one. I believe that's the top three, yes. Yeah. It's just weird. And then, you know, Vern Troyer played Grip Hook in this one at the at the Gringotts Bank. Um, you know, so that was uh, you know, rest in peace. You know, that was his, one of his mm-hmm. roles. He was also Mini Me, right? He was. He was. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Iconic roles. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to Hogwarts. We're uh Yeah. Let's uh let's get there now. James, Hogwarts stuff. What do you got? What's like? Is there a difference between the castle? Do you think the castle is pretty much representative of how it is in the book in the movie? Um, I'd say for the most part, at least on the male end, because you have all of the first year 
Gryffindor boys in the movie. The other, you have obviously Harry and Ron, but then Seamus, Dean, and Neville. Is Dean in the first one? I can't even remember now. Yeah, I see him in the book. Yeah, yeah, he's in the first. Yeah. Um, Seamus, Dean, and Neville. That's all of the Gryffindor boys from Harry's year. The women are not represented whatsoever. Um, You just have Hermione. (laughs) In the books, there is also... um, the, or the one Patils. of the Patil twins, I think yeah. it's Pavardi. Yeah, what's well, one of yeah, them? Yeah, Pavardi. Padme is a Ravenclaw. The twins got separated Padme. amongst houses. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that's the twins that uh, Harry and Ron take to the Yule Ball and Goblet of Fire. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're in separate houses in the books. Um, so, only Pavardi, I'm fairly positive, Pavardi is in Gryffindor House with Hermione, but she's not really shown until the fourth movie and i can't even think of the other women from their year because i'm pretty sure lavender brown is a year below them yeah i don't yeah i yeah i can't really <laughs> think of you know hermione's definitely pulling the, the most weight when it comes to the female characters and yeah. she was she emma emma emma, emma watson. watson watson she's um a lot different apparently compared to like the book right like hermione's supposed to be like really ugly and like have like buck teeth. She's presented as yeah, not particularly attractive. Extremely bushy hair, which that they did yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty well, accurate. I think, in translating. But yeah, she's buck toothed in the movie. Said to have very big teeth because Snape makes a reprehensible comment towards her in a later book yes. regarding those yeah. teeth. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's not painted as particularly attractive in the books. Um, I mean, then again they're children so they're not attractive at all but yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> um like yeah yeah when i was a kid though like i i think we all had crushes on emma watson oh I, when i was a teenager <laughs> when i saw prisoner of basketball same oh my god that awoke in my puberty <laughs> when i was however old like seven eight yeah something like that that, that kick-started it right there i don't know I can't think of like the. It was Emma Watson and Miranda Cosgrove for me. That that was. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can understand that one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I guess I never had an awakening. <laughs> 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 I could because like you know like Emma Watson's cool and all, that, but like I don't that know. tracks. You're not very woke. <laughs> <laughs> True. You're well, speaking like, <laughs> of that, is so everyone says Hermione's black right now, which I have no problem with. Yeah. But like, um, didn't JK? There's like like one throwaway line that could be uh, used to back up that theory. I don't think JK ever had any particular race in her mind when Mm -hmm. she was writing Hermione. Um, And given JK's somewhat tumultuous comments in the past, I'd say she probably was leaning towards Hermione being white, but. Yeah, I mean, I ultimately, I don't think it ever matters yeah, as I, long as it's not a, integral yeah. to the plot any way or the other. Yeah, no, I mean it should be. I mean, whatever. That's the like that's the same thing with like like nobody. No, I don't think anybody really cared when Dumbledore was gay. No, like because it, it it didn't affect anything in the yeah. plot. You know, exactly. and so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Just it's weird <laughs> that she wanted to get on her high horse and be like like Dumbledore's gay. You know, Voldemort. Always reminds me of that. Oh, what is it? Um, 
the Potter Puppet Pals on YouTube. Yeah. That, oh. that was the, I loved that stuff when I was like 11 or 12 or something like that. Oh, Whenever yeah. it Those came videos out. were iconic. The That's, mysterious ticking noise that still lives rent free. It's in my a pipe bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the only person who like watched that. And I Dude, thought I found no, this no. niche thing that nobody awesome. else thought. <laughs> oh, my whole totally elementary not. school was on fire about that. <laughs> yeah, same dude. Yeah, that was like and the middle the, school in the early high school. That's where it was for me. It was like, oh my god, it's <laughs> one of like the first YouTube videos I ever found. Like um, that one in like the Adult Swim Star Wars one, where like he was talking about like uh, um, Darth Vader's crying over the phone talking to Emperor Palpatine, and he's like, I, I, I gotta go, I gotta go. I love YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. my my intro to YouTube: How to Be a Ninja. Oh yeah, I don't think those are my that. favorite series of videos. Uh, uh, how to be? Oh, mine was Charlie Unicorn. Ah, uh, yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Like the nice. first three of them, I think, were out when I started watching YouTube, and that's uh, 2006, 2007. YouTube, yeah, something man. else. What a time. <laughs> something else. I got oh. a question though. Like, is it pronounced Voldemort or Voldemort? Because, uh, yeah. So this is an accent thing. I mean, it will, everyone in the movie the, says Voldemort with a T. Yes, but it's uh, the argument comes from the fact that it's based off a French word, um, more meaning death, and like uh, it's pronounced without the T in French. Um, uh, so there's definitely argument to be made that it's Voldemort. Um, but everyone in the movies, and I also say Voldemort. Yeah. I mean, it's we're English people. I don't <laughs> think it's wrong to pronounce something as an English person would, even if it's derived necessarily from a French word in this instance. Yeah. But Alan Rickman as Snape. Oh. Alan Rickman. Legend. Yeah. Like, dude, I always hated him in the movies, but like Alan Rickman made me hate him and I fucking love that. Yeah. <laughs> like he wasn't he wasn't an actor to me. He was uh, he was Snape. He was Snape, exactly. Yeah. That was my introduction. It was all of our introductions, probably to Alan Rickman. Yeah, that or yeah, Die for Hard. Sure. So I mean, I didn't watch Die Hard until I was like sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't watch it, so I was close to an adult. Um, the thing with Alan Rickman, though, fantastic performance, and it's why it's forgivable. But he also, I will argue, ruined some big parts of the movie just by being cast as the role. The reason I say that is because he's quite a bit older than the character was actually meant to be. Mm-hmm. Snape in the um, books is in his 30s, like young 30s by the start of it. Yeah. Obviously, Alan Rickman's a lot older. <clears throat> and the reason why I think it's a bad move overall, despite obviously it being worth it because Alan Rickman's amazing and he was so good in the role. But um, it detracts from the fact that James and Lily, when they were killed, were 21 years old. They were supposed to be anyway. And the movies oh. are presented as mid-40s, you know. Not that it's not, death isn't tragic at any time, but it's much more tragic when these are some young adults, 21 years old, that were murdered and leaving their kid behind, as opposed to, you know, late 30s, early 40s, mm-hmm. yeah. um, as they're presented in the movies. But in the books, they were killed at 21. That's, that's, I never knew that. That's, that's really and, interesting. Yeah, and Snape would be the same age as them. So, yeah, yeah exactly. In the first sense. book, he would be like 32. It's a young professor. <laughs> it's a really yeah. young professor. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know, Adam Driver would be literally perfect for that role if they were to do it today. Yeah, it's the internet's yes. fan casting because he looks just it's not like wrong. Snape. I mean, it's, it's really I'm okay <laughs> with it. 
But like, and he could play evil, like or like, you know, I mean, well, he could play a dick because, like, have you seen? You, I'm not even talking about Star Wars. I'm talking about Black Klansman. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> seen Black Klansman. James, yet. have you seen that movie? I saw Black Klansman. <laughs> I love that movie. Just the scene where he's yelling at the guy to like very explicit, explicit with um, yeah. <laughs> he's like, keep on driving. <laughs> Yeah, Dan, you've seen that movie, by the way. I don't. I know remember. for a fact you have. I don't remember it. Oh, dude. I watched it with. I know. You, I probably I know watched it with fact. you. I don't remember it. I the one I the other movie I really remember Adam Driver from is, um, Marriage Story. And holy mm. shit! Yep, that is a performance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, both of them, even Scarlett Johansson, yeah, like she's more Scar- understated, Joe. but like you know, maybe it's just because I can. I'm a guy. I can relate to Adam Driver's like whole thing in that in that movie a lot more but yeah it, he great performance great writing great movie overall I, I recommend it yeah yeah if anyone hasn't yes. seen marriage story on netflix watch it it's fantastic one of the best yeah. movies for like drama i've ever seen Going and back i to- also agree with the fact that adam driver would be a fantastic snape more age-appropriate snape as well yeah yeah 100 percent. because he's also got that awkward quality too you know Oh, yeah. Snape was such an awkward person in the books. Very, uh, he was a simp. He was a massive simp in the books. <laughs> I mean, in the movies too, but more so in the books. <laughs> All right. Well, going back to the casting, though, um, Dumbledore, played by Richard Harris, mm-hmm. um, I, I think he's not, I don't think he's that accurate to the book from what I remember. Um, because. Like I remember, I remember Dumbledore. Everyone saying Dumbledore is like an asshole, kind of a dick. You know, he's like he's he, he, like he 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 does he gives like shitty advice to Harry as he's going through. But like we learn later on that it's warranted. And Richard Harris like has like this quality of warmth and like understanding. Like he's always going to be there for Harry and True. stuff. And I think that's why Michael Gambon, who replaced Richard mm-hmm. Harris later on, I think he's a lot better in the role because like that's what he's supposed to be like right yeah i'd agree with that yeah um dumbledore is meant to be a bit arrogant um thinks he knows best in some ways he definitely does seem to know best but that comes with negative personality traits as well um and i would 100 percent agree richard harris while i think he did a good job like you said provides warmth it's not necessarily the way they it doesn't match the character from the books yeah all right, let's uh, let's move on to the the Quidditch and the broomstick stuff. All all that stuff, like the fun and games portion of this movie, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, fucking poor Neville. He just he just can't catch a break, man. Like <laughs> no. in the whole series, like it's just. Uh, what did I write? I wrote. Um, he just gets the short end of the broom every time. Poor, <laughs> like, poor Neville. Yeah, he's he's the um. Uh, comedic the relief. joke of the movie, yeah, oh. the comedic relief. That's the yeah. term I was looking for. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think him and uh, Seamus Finnegan, uh, you know, do a lot with the with the comedy for the, with the kids because like Finnegan always blows himself up. You know, mm. he's trying to turn mm-hmm. the water into wine. He's like, <laughs> he just cuts to him, just like holding the wine. He's all like, you know, he's like, yeah. blow up in his face. And then when he's practicing Wooden Guardian Leviosa, he blows the feather up <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Um, another aspect we really haven't touched on yet is the camaraderie that Ron, Harry, and Hermione have in this movie. Like, it's a very, they're all very close, and it's it's shown very well that they're very good friends and they help each other out. And it's it's just a it's a really nice point for the movie. Yeah, 
I remember they they spent months um, trying to find the perfect casting for all three kids because they knew that mm-hmm. this would be the most important part of the movie yeah. that that relationship the camaraderie between all three of them. And I think they, I think they nailed it. They did. Yeah, yeah I completely did. agree. Yeah. I mean, the three of them are still, from what I hear, friends to this day. Yeah, hundred um, percent. That's awesome. And not only did they cast them at eleven, they were casting them at eighteen. They were casting them, like you said, for their childhood. Yeah. Um, to grow into the characters we expected them, and for the most part, they did some stuff that they couldn't obviously control like height is a little different but that's the worst example i think they did a pretty good job i mean tom cruise is short and they put him on boxes so yeah there's like a bunch (laughs) of different techniques that they use to make him look taller like same Mm. thing with uh, robert downey jr he always wears heels heels yeah Yeah. (laughs) well yeah speaking of the camaraderie of all three of them though so we get we get a very good sense that the gryffindors inside of gryffindor have a very sense of uh, camaraderie, even with the with the uh, Weasley twins and uh, all the other supporting characters in Gryffindor. But as we find out later on, you know, all the like they hate Slytherin, and I feel like the idea of houses br- automatically breeds that sort of like hatred, rivalry between people, and it sounds very counterproductive if you want to have a learning environment. Oh, 100%. And then not only that, they have the house cup as well to further drive that division between the houses and make it a nonstop competition to one-up the other houses. Yep, For sure. It is not a good environment for actual children. That can escalate. You know, and like I remember when I was a kid, I would just like, I remember like not even registering. I just hated certain people, (laughs) you know, just because, because they weren't part of our friend group or whatever. And like, it's th- it's not something that kids think about, and I think if you if you're an adult setting that up, that just makes it like ten times worse. The troll is another good example, right? There's a troll in the dungeon. There's a troll in the dungeon. Just thought you should know. Fucking pants out. <laughs> yeah, that oh whole scene, God. like you know, well, obviously you got, you got Coral coming in, freaked out, and like obviously we find out later on he let in the troll, mm-hmm. and um, because he's Douche Voldemort. Bag. Yeah, what an asshole. <laughs> yeah, but um. You know, this this is when we kind of get our first like test of like their uh, all three of the kids' friendships, where they take out the troll and they use like what you know the basic lessons that they did when Guardian Leviosa, you know, and um, you know they they it's I liked this because they it it's a good it's good storytelling to set something up, pay it off later, yeah. and um, they did that in this, and it's the, you see the first time that the kids come together, and you know, and Ron learns a, learns a, a lesson. About like not don't talk shit about Hermione, <laughs> you know, because she'll be sad. And that's not that's not good. Yeah, but yeah. Can we so. talk about how tragic it was for Hermione to be completely unknown to this whole world? Goes off to a boarding school in Scotland, yeah. has no way to contact her parents outside of a letter by Owl. Yep. Um, has no friends. Yep. Is such a nerd, and then she thinks the only two people she's gotten even remotely close to are making fun of her behind her back. Yep, and then she goes and cries in a bathroom at the age of eleven from the bullying of the people she thought she might have been and, closest and to. She that is tragic. Ends up almost getting fucked up by a troll. <laughs> yeah, so, just yeah, to put just a more traumatizing material. Like, my God. Oh yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, Hermione probably takes the brunt of. Well, I, no, I think Harry takes most of the trauma and tragicness, but like. You know, Hermione's more she's understated. She, she's not. It's, it's not really highlighted as much. Yeah. Um, um. Something I just remembered. 
forgot to mention from the train scene because we oh, didn't yeah, really yeah. talk much we about really it. Well, yeah. Um, there is like I can't remember if it's in the actual movies or not, but I know it's in the book. Uh, a Chekhov's gun in that scene, um, which is sort of. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, a movie trope or storytelling trope where if something is referenced in the first act of a movie, uh, it better come back and serve a purpose in the final act in yep. some capacity. And there's Chocolate Frogs that has a card where Harry gets Dumbledore. And on it, they mention as part of his accomplishments, his work with famed alchemist Nicholas Flamel, who at the end we learn is who created the Sorcerer's Stone and why Dumbledore had such an attachment to it. Um, so I just find that a very interesting bit of is, foreshadowing yeah. and storytelling that's gets used. It's a big thing in storytelling, just set up and pay off and foreshadowing. And like, yeah. and once it comes back, it's like, ah, I see what you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially but, when you're rewatching it or rereading it to just be like, Hey, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah that's I what it was like going back to watch some chamber of secrets. <laughs> that's what I was like when, like when I was watching game of Thrones, like I didn't understand anything that was happening in the first season. And I went back after watching the whole series. I was just like, this is amazing. You know, all this world building. And that's what this movie does really good. It builds so much. And so in such a short amount of time. And I know this movie's two and a half hours, but like, the amount of the sheer amount of world building and just stuff that we have in this movie, especially the first hour is in, insane. It's perfect mm-hmm. to have a, a audience character like Harry not know anything about it. So, yeah, I think if they ever decide to God forbid, reboot these movies, um, they reboot it in a TV show format. They could build so much more. They could do so they much more to. with the characters. It's the only way I'd support a reboot of this yeah. franchise is to put it in full hour-long episodic format mm-hmm. where each episode is roughly a chapter or two from the books. Um, I would love that. And especially the way the books are written, it adds to that format so well because the first book, the first two books are significantly shorter than the rest, meaning they can do pilot seasons with not as many episodes are not as in-depth to see if it'll stick which i 100 percent think it would yeah um to actually like to do fully flesh plus. that out into a full series like disney plus does six episode series so start with that then move it to like 10 or i think a six episode series like could go great for the first two books exactly that'd be yeah. fantastic beasts <laughs> oh, <laughs> usually i'm the one doing that <laughs> <laughs> fuck <laughs> All right, uh, let's get to the finale of this movie. So they're in a dungeon. There's all this fucking well, chest shit. Before you get to the finale, oh, yeah. there's something from the forest that I want to talk oh, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Some big foreshadowing in that scene. Okay. Um, at least in the book version of that scene ah. that is missed in the movie. Um, so they go into the forest as detention, um, and they have to help Hagrid figure out why unicorns are being murdered, which... Worst detention ever. You're putting 11-year-olds in a deadly forest with unicorns being murdered in it. Probably not the best idea. (laughs) Um, But Harry winds up on a unicorn that has been killed and is getting their blood drinking. Drunk. Whatever. Something like that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then this cloaked figure is about to come after Harry until finally uh, Centaur, Ferenz, jumps in and saves him and drives this creature away. Um, in the book version of this, there are two other centaurs that come in after friends saves him and basically grill him 
for intervening. They're like, you are not meant to be intervening in um, human affairs. You know, it is we. So centaurs are very magically aligned creatures and they evolve heavily. They believe heavily in divination and astrology where they use the moons and stars and planets, I should say, um, to predict and tell the future. Um, so they mentioned how you should not be intervening with what is foretold in the planets. Um, what winds up happening, Bane knows that the planets are saying that Harry is meant to die at the hands of Voldemort in the Forbidden Forest, which he does in the eighth movie and oh. the final book. That's and so cool. When Ferenz is a divination teacher, he mentions how reading the stars and planets, while it can be rather precise, it is not the full picture. It does not tell you when things are going to happen. So they knew it was meant to happen, but they did not know that it was not meant to happen yet. Huh. And that is laid out in the very first book, how Harry is meant to die in the forest at the hands of Voldemort. Damn. Do you think that, like, you know, J.K. thought about all of this, like the no. entire story? I think this just happens. <laughs> <No. things>. <laughs> I 100% believe that she wrote what she wanted to write and had some thoughts in mind. But I think a lot of it as well is her going back and rereading her works and seeing how she can incorporate some stuff that she said to work its way. So I think some stuff was planned, but I think a majority of it was not. Yeah, well, I know one thing definitely was planned. That was that Snape's whole thing, but we'll get into yeah. that yes. later. All right, so the finale of the uh, the movie, giant chess. That's well, I want to <laughs> I want to backtrack a tiny bit. Um, I, it's a it's a bunch of different trials. So this is where like the kind of childish book bookish bookishness comes in. Okay, that was <laughs> where worded way better. <laughs> um, where it's like. Each trial ahead of them uh, allows one of each one of them to shine. So the first one is Devil's Snare. Hermione's like, oh, I read it in a book one time. That's how we beat it. Um, uh, the second one is uh, Harry has to get on a broom to catch the, the key. That's like the weak, the weak flying key. And then in the chess, it's more it's – about, it's about Ron with wizard chess. So I like that like in the book at least – you know, and in the movie because they they incorporated it, but they they gave they gave even the supporting characters time to shine. You know, mm-hmm. you're forgetting the first trial though was fluffy. Um, well, yeah, that, they that didn't one's... have anything to overcome. In the book, they uh, played a flute or something. Yeah, I it was not that. a harp in the corner. Hmm. Um, it was some flute or other. Because uh, Hagrid earlier in the movie is seen playing a flute. If you remember, no. he's just, or maybe I think that might've been a deleted scene. Now I think about it, yeah. but there is a scene of Hagrid playing the flute and okay. it's to hint that he plays the flute to sedate Huff, fluffy. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do remember yeah. a scene like that, I don't, but like, yeah, it must've been deleted scene. It's just it's such a passing by thing. Like they don't even acknowledge it. He's just sitting there playing a flute and then they walk up and it's like Hagrid. And he's like, what? <laughs> Um, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, going back to the TV show thing, there's a lot of stuff that like is left out, um, that is more episodic, like specifically with Hagrid and the dragon where they have to give the dragon to Ron's brother, I believe. Yes. Charlie. And as some of his friends, cause we learn in the fourth, Charlie is a dragon hunter, tamer handler. Yeah. Yeah. Does he come back in the fourth one? 
Uh, he is in the fourth book. He's not in the fourth movie. I don't think he's in any of the movies. He's not in any of the movies. But... Yeah, but he is in the fourth book because he is um one of the handlers that handles the dragons for the task. Yeah, I figured that would be like the perfect place for him to be. Yeah, yeah yep, he is in that role in the book. The end of the movie. So just, you know, the showdown between Harry and what's his face? I can't remember his name. The professor. Quirrell. 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 Professor Quirrell. Or whatever, and you know Voldemort in the back of his bald ass head. Um, <laughs> yeah, how the that's still to this day is like how the fuck is that? What is this? I I don't understand that still. What just, how he survived on Quirrell's? Yeah, head? Well, I'm pretty sure like like he like when he like died he like apparated and then just found Quirrell. So um, it actually relates heavily to Horcruxes. That's um, what, that we that's learned what in the later ones. It was, but like, I, yeah. So Voldemort's physical form was killed the night that he attempted to kill Harry, and the spell backfired. His physical form was killed that night, so his spirit lived on, but it could not get access to the other Horcruxes. Uh, he needed, um, as we learned in the fourth, steps to go through to actually regain his physical form so until then he attached himself to others and lived through them one of those being quarrel and he attached himself to quarrel because he had no physical form to attach himself to huh. yeah right. yeah I figure it was something like that and then we get that famous meme of quarrel you know flying at harry yeah. <laughs> that scene terrified me as a kid <laughs> seeing him just launch at him and then start to like burn from touching harry and crumble apart yeah shit was weird man (laughs) that was traumatic to a little however old i was when i saw the movie i don't know probably (laughs) six or seven yeah something like that but i think this finale is great because it gives just a taste of like the true horrors to come later on in the movies like this is just like you know like the music and the atmosphere and everything is just like really well done yeah absolutely yeah. And uh, all right, so let's let's rank this movie here. The first one, Sorcerer's oh, Stone. Oh, rank it out of, or rank it or rate it. Rate it. Sorry, not. Rank it. We'll <laughs> rank at the end of this. Yeah, we'll rank it. Oh sorry, no, sorry. I do not know. <laughs> let's rate this one out of a hundred. James, let's let's start with you on the first one. Um, I will say probably like an eighty-one. Um, okay. I, I, it's good. It, yeah, maybe, let's, let's maybe bump it up to like 84. Okay. Um, there's a lot of to enjoy about it. It was very fantastical. And I think the movie does a great job of bringing magic to life almost to making it seem like this real world that I want to be a part of. And I mm-hmm. think that was one of the biggest allures of Harry Potter was this whole world that people wanted to be in. And this movie does nothing but help that. Um, but with that said, it is uh, quite, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it's a good movie. I enjoy it, but I think the books all and will always will are better than the movies. Was good words, James. Good words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, I think I'm going to go with your, original one and say 81 i think that was a good it was a good spot for this movie but yeah very fantastical very um you know just it's a great bonding experience between these kids we get to see them grow it's a great jumping off point for the series like it just sets the tone for the other seven movies in this series and it's just 
it's just great, man. It's just great. That's all. Nothing, that's all I got. Yeah. Nothing supports friendship like severe trauma. You know. <laughs> Hell yeah. Coping with trauma. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with dark jokes. Dark, dark, <laughs> dark humor. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give this one dark an hearts. 88. I think it's one of the better ones, especially rewatching it this time. Yeah. Because uh, there's so much that like I missed, or the, uh, so much that I took for granted that going into the other movies so they just how much how well this established everything and like where the direction for where we're going to go we're going to go a lot darker later on but oh, yeah. you know this is like kind of like a good a good starting off point like you said and um yeah so i'm gonna go 88 and yeah all right let's start off number two chamber of secrets with fucking dobby all right, so <laughs> he's the C three PO of, of he this is series. The C three PO, you know, comedic more comedic relief here. But dude, I fucking hate Dobby. <laughs> like, he's my Jar Jar Binks. Oh, yeah? He is, and like until the you know seventh and eighth movie, which we'll get to. Like, he, is, I just can't stand him in this movie, man. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just like fuck I, I, every time, man. <laughs> yeah, I think this movie. Chamber of Secrets did uh, a weird, oh, interesting job with Dobby because it's like I hated him throughout the entire movie, and then when Seven shows up, uh, when he shows up in Seven, um, which we'll get to, I didn't realize how much I cared about him. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, he's an annoying as shit character, mm-hmm. but a lovable elf, you know? Yes, exactly. Especially, I think it's that ending scene with the sock. That's what that's what uh, cements it for me. Hmm. But yeah, James, I love Dobby personally. Um, while I think he's represented in the movies a little poorly, uh, I always liked the character of Dobby. I thought he was funny while also being sad and complex. Even um, I, I, I enjoyed the look into this person that lives in servitude and from a race that almost wants to live in servitude, but does that necessarily mean they want to be abused? No, no one should ever be abused. Um, yeah. 100%. And there, there's, there's definitely some negative parallels that can be made there. Um, you know, presenting a minority character in a role of servitude. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh I think Dobby does fill that role well in a way that, you know, he, yeah, he's annoying, but he's that's that's who he is. Yeah. He's Dobby. Just, he's an elf. He's Dobby. Yeah. And, and trust me, in the books, there is a far more annoying elf than Dobby. There is an elf called Winky that is uh, an alcoholic. I don't Yo, what. <laughs> yes, there's an alcoholic elf. I don't in remember the books. this, and I read this. They're book. not in the movies whatsoever. But I, I really the love. There is an alcoholic uh, elf. I think creatures. The the My other one animal. that I don't like. Yes, is the only other elf. He's the, the I just don't absolute like asshole from the okay. later ones. <laughs> huh. Yeah, but uh, talking about um, Harry though, I this is like it was very very abrupt for me watching these. So like, he, what this is two thousand four, right? First one came out in 2002. I didn't, I was like, I was born in 1998. So, baby. I was, I was like, when I first saw this, I was like still like six or seven. So I saw this, the one or two, one and two back to back. Yeah. And, um, this was, was 2002. This, this was 2002? This was 2002. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. So that means the um, first one was Stone was 2001. Yeah. This has one year difference. 
Damn. All right. So well, it was a really abrupt. In just one year, we see Harry go from like, like little like short kid, you know, and then he just hits puberty yep. too. So I'm like, his voice is so deep, and I'm just like, you know, what's Whoa, who bro. is this person? Yeah, it was very jarring for me. And yeah, apparently Ginny had been talking about him all summer. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They they do oh, they Ginny. do they do their their best, I guess, with I mean, adapting were, Ginny. She got done dirty in the movies, but I guess they you know yeah, they, they, they were, try to include something. They were kind of setting her up, but even back then, like yeah. I don't think the sixth book had even come out at that point, the fifth or sixth one, right? In two thousand two, yeah. I think we were only like four books yeah, like in, they, maybe. Damn, they were setting some shit up. Yeah, first we one was in '97, so yeah, it's it's crazy, man. Like, yeah. well, yeah, because they don't they don't like actually start a relationship until like book six, right? Yeah, book six. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Uh, J.K. had some uh, some cards up her sleeves that early, and we just didn't see it. Or maybe they want to do it in the movies, and then J.K. just kind of took that into the books. Like, hey, maybe we should. He's like a romance for Harry or something. I don't, yeah. I don't know. They never really specified anything on that, but I, it would not surprise me. I like that um, they don't they don't give Harry they you know they don't pair Harry up with Hermione. You know, yeah. I like that they like Hermione is like the only girl in the dynamic in the you know it's such such an obvious way to have her team up with Harry in like as a relationship. So I like if we're going to have a love triangle or not a love triangle, but like a, like a relationship <laughs> within the dynamic, yeah. it's better to do it with the best friend, you know? So I just think that's nicer. JK has come out and said she regrets not pairing Harry with Hermione, which I, and a lot of fans as well, fully disagree with. Yeah. It's such yeah. a, it's um, a more she has route. said she wishes she did it. It is her book. So, I mean, whatever she yeah. wants but like it's not yeah but she also says that wizards yeah, used to I... take a shit on the floor and then clean it up with a wave of a wand so <laughs> yeah right. we don't need to listen to everything she yeah, says all right. you know yeah what? like Just, okay. so, <laughs> well that's a good point though like we, at a certain point i think um a, a portion of the the property belongs to the fans at, at a certain point and that's why like you know everyone says like uh, nobody hates star wars as much as star wars fans <laughs> yeah that's and true. you know so like when the <laughs> i haven't found that to be so true till i started playing lego star wars i'm like wow i hate this planet i hate this planet. i'm like wow do i like anything <laughs> despite loving it all well, lego star wars <laughs> pisses you off with the fucking like the the force perspective like you know how you have yeah. to do jumps and stuff but but yeah like i think at a certain point like if if it's established to have a certain amount of quality to a certain to something, and then you start spewing just like stuff that really doesn't mix with what you've already established, it's going to piss off the fans, and I think they're justified. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because no. yeah, like we said, like JK just came just came up with like the, there, there's no plumbing. They just took a shit in their pants and waved it away. <laughs> like that's fucking dumb. <laughs> you know? And I think I think uh, I think. I don't want to see. I don't want to sound bratty or like ungrateful, because I do love a giant portion of this franchise. But there's some of it that is like that we. I wish we could just erase. And it's like a lot like with Star Wars, you know, where like I wish we could erase or at least redo certain parts, which I won't get into. But Dan, Dan's giving me the look. But you know what I mean. <laughs> okay, so uh, I will say that's how I feel about Cursed Childs. I wish we could erase <laughs> Cursed Childs. Yeah, it's it. like you can you can consider it not canon to you, so you have per- yeah. you're perfectly when you're right. But it's like, yeah, it, it I'm a big supporter of head canon. I I very much agree with that, and there's a lot of stuff that I think should be the way it is in the series, and therefore that's how I will interpret it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's 
Yeah, it's, I just wish it was official. That's like the one little yeah. bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. All right, so the whole first part of this film, you know, is the car and all that stuff. So, like, they get a car going to Hogwarts. How the fuck do they know where they're going, first of all, to get to Hogwarts? Like, does the car have, like, a GPS system inside it to know how they get they to They know it's north-ish. <laughs> they find, know it's there's generally probably many north. railroad tracks up there. How do they know it's the right one? <laughs> because <laughs> it's the one that has the big magical bridge. Okay, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think I think the suspension here. of dis- disbelief. Yeah, a little you gotta, bit. You got to just do like, that. Yeah, you just got to deal with it. But it's like eh, it's, it's it's there. Especially like how did you know the, if we're playing this this game? How did uh, the Weasleys know where Harry lived and like how to get there? He he could have said four Privet Drive, but I bet you there's tons of Privet Drives in England. Maybe not all I over mean, the place. But he, it's like Elm he's, Street. He's like outside of. Like London, I think that's where yeah. Harry is or something. But, but it's like specifically like little wh- like his window and everything, you know. Yeah. Anyway, and then not important. But uh, why the fuck did I write down what is the function of a rubber duck? That's the best line in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Mister Weasley's just like, what is the function of a rubber duck? <laughs> it's fucking. It's perfect. And like you know, that's like this line he's known for now. So yeah. Okay. I forgot why I wrote that down. Like, wait, what was this from again? <laughs> oh my god. Um, I think it's just a funny little idea into this yeah. whole wizards have no clue how the other half lives. Yeah. They they don't know. They they're not familiar with muggle things and obviously muggles are not familiar with wizard things. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, like um is I mean, I'm not sure if they're tackling this in the in the Fantastic Beasts, but is there like a war between the muggles and the wizards and stuff and the haves and have-nots kind of thing, you know? I'm, I'm, I, I've, I saw a trailer for Crimes of Grindelwald, so I don't know. I remember him starting trying to start something with World War II, maybe. But yeah. I think a lot of it is that the bad wizards, the evil wizards, the Slytherin wizards, um, they want to eradicate muggles or at least be in a position above muggles and not have to hide. Whereas the rest of the wizarding world's like, nah, let's just not make ourselves known. Let's not commit genocide on these people That'd be nice um oh. so i think it's just a fight to remain anonymous rather than Got a fight it. actually against them firsthand so in that sense it's kind of like the conflict between black panther and uh killmonger killmonger yeah yeah, yeah pretty much very similar similar yeah. vibes yeah <laughs> which uh, yeah because like now because like there was um Everyone like compared Magneto and Professor X to Malcolm X and um, Martin Luther King Jr. And that's even more apparent in Black Panther. Mm-hmm. So you, I guess you could do the same thing between Dumbledore and Grindelwald or even Dumbledore and Voldemort. Yeah. You probably so, could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Parallels. All right. Well, yeah. they, they make it to Hogwarts. Um, and they're just... Oh, they're you crashing. missed the Diagon Alley scene again. Oh, fuck. Diagonally. Right. <laughs> Yes, diagonally. He goes to the wrong place. And um, in the books, there is a lot of foreshadowing from this one scene in Borgen and Burks. Okay. Um, Borgen and Burks is the evil wizard store that he finds himself uh, trapped in with that creepy hand that latches onto him. Um, In the books, he winds up in the store as well. But he winds up in... uh, When he's there, the Malfoys yet again... Are there? (laughs) They just are there constantly. Where Harry is, Um, Harry, not wanting to be seen, not knowing where he is, 
hides in a cabinet, which is actually the vanishing cabinet that is used in Half-Blood Prince by Malfoy Mm -hmm. to bring in the dark wizards from Borgen and Burks to Hogwarts. Um, So he hides in this vanishing cabinet, not having any idea what it is. And not only that, we see Malfoy reading a locket and on the locket, uh, it says that it is claimed 19 muggle lives, which is the same locket that in Half-Blood Prince, Katie Bell touches and becomes possessed and starts flying around. Um, Dude, you so, yeah, both mind. those items were teased in this scene in the <laughs> book. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like all this random shit. It's like it, it makes it makes J.K. Rowling look like a genius. But like, mm-hmm. and like, I, I had this, I had this as a note and I've brought this up before um, where I think she was definitely, cause she was homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. And I think struggling really influences your creative bone. And like, and I think that's why, like, you know, as she's become more comfortable and like after writing this hugely, insanely popular series, her creative flame is kind of like. You know, it's not the best. Like, you know, she's still making blockbusters and stuff, but like they're not doing well now. And, you know, I think that's she she had such a creative thing here and it was really cool to see to see all like these intricacies that you, you just brought up, James, and that you know, it's it's so in depth and like she's able to find these different connections and stuff. And I think it's really nice that like she gave this to us, you know? There's like there's others there's a couple other series that have done it well, but to appeal to kids in the way that it has, it's it's just insane, you know? Yeah. It's all in the world building and all the little things that are subtly in there. And just, it's fun. Like, some of it's just fun, like all this stuff. Like, there's yeah. the Malfoy-Harry rivalry that even begins in this with the, the Quidditch thing in this movie. But, like, there's all these just things. Man. Little tidbits. Yeah. That are like, like, you know, you... Yeah. And then there's weird shit like all the spiders in this movie, and then there's like yeah, it just, so yeah, when it's I, all it keeps you interested. Yeah, there's like, always something. This is an arachnophobe's least favorite movie. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Ron's <laughs> least favorite movie. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Putting bars over the windows is Loki child abuse. I think a lot of what yeah. the, uh, uh, Dursleys did was child abuse. Yeah, to be honest, yeah. yeah. So, Do you see them him slap slap Harry at all, or like physically abuse him? I don't think so. Uh, not in the movies. But, but <laughs> they are in the books? I, I think there's references to him having marks, but I don't think it's ever outright said. I'm not positive on that, All though. Right. Uh, let's skip ahead to when they're back at Hogwarts. So they only get detention for that whole scene with the car into the Whomping Willow and all that stuff. <laughs> but Ron gets fucking reamed by his mother through that um that letter. Oh, oh, that howler. Is hilarious. Yeah, the howler. <laughs> Weasley's got a howler. Oh, he's idea. Congrats on getting in Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh just that whole scene is great. It's, it's a great scene. It's one of my favorites. Um uh, actually, oh, sorry, to backtrack a little bit, I want to go back to Borgen and Burks or or the scene where we meet Gilderoy Lockhart and oh, Malfoys yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, in the book, there is a very quick sleight of hand uh, storytelling that she does where she throws in like a list of everything in Ginny's cauldron and like all these books and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she she glosses over, she, she throws in like a, a black journal, just 
throws it in there in the, and so we we as the audience don't think anything of it we just think it's like a, a like it's just a regular journalist she's gonna write it right and in the movie we uh I, we actually see malfoy or the, lucius malfoy drop it into her cauldron there in the one shot or he takes it or mm-hmm. like you know he takes her books or whatever and, he, yep. and puts them puts back right yep. and I, I i rewinded it because i yep. wanted to show you yeah so i'm like ah that's how they did it yeah so yeah. it's great, like little storytelling, and they do the same thing in like Breaking Bad, where like they 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 take like um, Jesse's cigarettes. It's on screen; you see it really quickly, but it's not called attention to. Yes. So I love that kind of like that the way they did subtle that, you know? storytelling, my yeah. friend. Subtle, subtle. Well, what did you think of uh, our boy Gilderoy Lockhart? His introduction isn't he a fun man? Douchebag. It's a very fun. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I. I think Kenneth Branagh did a great job with the character because mm-hmm. I hate Lockhart, as does most everyone. Um, and similar to Rickman, it takes a lot to get that emotion from viewers, from fans. Uh, and I, I think he did a great job of playing this annoying character. Yeah, because he's, he's so full of himself and it's like it's so obvious that he has never done anything in his life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like he, um, <laughs> although he is gifted in one particular skill, memory charms. Yeah, and you know why that is? Uh, why? Because he steals the accomplishments from those that actually do them, and he does memory charms on them so they forget ever having done them. That's oh yeah, how he goes about boasting his amazing accomplishments. Is he just wipes the memories of the people that actually did them? And then he claims that he did it. Wow, that's like that's like a, a thing that like I always like. So I always think if I had a time machine, I could go back in time and I could like you know write Star Wars or something because like I memorized okay. it. Okay. Do like take, a Hurley take, from season five of Lost without consequences. First of all, because <laughs> imagine the repercussions of that shit. What? <laughs> like if you wrote Star Wars, like if imagine wrote- the repercussions on time travel and the future if that happened. I would write though. the same exact movie. It wouldn't change anything. <laughs> Wait. Okay. Just, you know what? I'm done. With you. I, no, just like because I would get the credit and just like, yeah, look at me. I'm, a, you know. So I think of like all these different properties that I I could recreate. You know, in like, but like I always have like the um, the itch in my in the back of my head. Like, like, would I get like sued eventually because if I didn't have a memory charm wipe thing, like they could or you know, whoever strange spell from no way home. Yeah, whoever's <laughs> whoever's the original creator could be like, hey, I had this exact idea like a couple years ago. I just haven't put it on pen to paper yet, you know. So it's like, did you fucking like steal my my notes and shit, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Colin, I I thought Colin I, Creedy. I, for, I forgot. Dobby is not the worst character in this fucking movie. It's fucking Colin. He's an annoying Aww. little shit. Oh <laughs> yeah. He's an annoying Colin's only shit. got like two scenes, though. I yeah, think, I don't care. Yeah, I could have cut pass. him from this movie, and I would have had no problem with it. You don't. Oh, you missed the whole point of his character. Yeah, it was it, because Harry's a role model. I now. know. I get that. I get. That. I think that's such, such a cool thing to include. Where it's like Harry's is like he's thrust all this fame upon him, and now he's now now that he's, he's in his second year, he has to be a role model to the first years. I just think that's so cool because he's like, oh my god, it's Harry Potter. Eh. Eh. Whatever. Eh. Anyway, you like yeah, what I you like. It's fine. No, I understand. Wait, what did you say? You like what you like. It's fine. I thought you were going to say you like the Last Jedi and just make fun of me for that again. But you know what? <laughs> you do like the Last. Yeah. I do. I do. <laughs> Third favorite Star Wars movie. Anyway, um, let's see here. If we didn't introduce Colin Creevy, though, we wouldn't have had. Well, then again, they don't do this in the movies, but in the books, they absolutely tear your heart out with Colin Creevy. 
Just saying. Oh no. All right. I forgot. Well, I forgot what happens with him. Um in the very last uh book during the Battle of Hogwarts, it's found out that he went back to school despite them saying only like seventh years could stay because they were of legal age in the losing world he was underage but he snuck back in with some other people and ended up dying at the battle of hogwarts Uh, so perfect gryffindor trait there wanted to support the people he cared about and do the fight but he ended up uh being one of the victims of the battle yeah all right okay yeah okay all right yeah, oh, that whole I that whole book I'm in tears the entire last part of it. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, I don't know why I wrote this down in my uh, notes, but like, are there wizard diseases? What I don't know why there's a wizard down. hospital. Yeah, but there's not. Yeah. I don't Saint know if there's Mungo's, any special wizard but... diseases. I don't think it's ever really brought up. Oh, um, I think because of the slugs. I think that's why I brought it up. Yeah. Oh, slugs, yeah. Mm. Yeah, where your backfires is like is that like such a that's obviously just a unique magical thing. So it's like can that like just happen <clears throat> to like like oh, I you know, I went outside during a slug storm or some shit. <laughs> now I can't stop coughing up slugs. Interesting. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god. But like there you know, they, like there's a there's a bone growth medicine. Oh yeah, to grow your bones back. Yeah, I mean, but so that's it's not like really a, that's like an injury thing. Though. That's not like a. Yeah, I, it's I, just, I don't know. I'm just wondering. A, you know, it's a weird thing. I don't, it hasn't really been talked about too much. I don't think so. Yeah. If you want to create wizard diseases, I guess go for it. But like, uh, I don't know. I guess I could. But anyway, yeah, Hermione became a furry in this movie. Yes, yes, because you know she, which I think I'm. A little upset about about Hermione being like completely sidelined through this entire movie. Yeah, because like she was such an integral part in the first one. And why? Why is this like? I mean, it's fine. It, like I like the buddy cop thing with between Harry and Ron, yeah. but like Hermione was like the third element. You know, she's just like first I'm a cat, so I'm just gonna like chill in the bathroom, and then she gets uh, petrified towards the end, and then she comes back in the end. It's like, oh, well, everything's all fine. So she doesn't do shit in this movie. You know, it's like. <laughs> I disagree with that. She sets in motion. She gives the tools to Harry and Ron that they need to actually overcome everything. Cause she's the one that took the lead on brewing the polyjuice potion and how to create it. And she was the mastermind behind that. And then not only that, um, it was her research in the library that led to them realizing it was a basilisk in the first place that was roaming around the halls. So she is, uh, I guess like um, in James Bond, what Q, I think. Um, yeah. You know, the informant, you know, giving the details for Harry and Ron to actually execute them themselves. I guess it's just, it just felt weird because she is a main character throughout the entire series. And to kind of give her the backseat and kind of more of a mentor or, or mm. whatever Q is the type of character, it just seemed awkward to put her in that space. Cause she's not like this in any other movie. You know, she's like, she's, she plays a pretty important parts. Uh, yeah. She's like the, the conscience, like the angel type on your shoulder type of deal in this movie. I'd say, yeah, like she's in the back of your head. Just like, yeah, I should probably do this or whatever. Like it, that kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. That, but that's it, what I would think. It's just kind of a far cry from like what we'll, we'll eventually get to it in prisoner of Azkaban. She has her whole own thing going on. That's not even, like just mm-hmm. running in the background, which I thought was really cool. 
Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. maybe I love really. the way they did that in the movie too. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. So well done. Well, I guess sort of relating to this, I'll ask you a question. Um, have you ever noticed how the three characters, the main three, despite being Gryffindors themselves, they each represent the other three houses on their own? Um, how so? You have Hermione, who's the Ravenclaw, the know-it-all, knowledge is power type person that is always learning new things, which is a very Ravenclaw yeah, very, trait. Very you. Um, <laughs> thanks uh ron is he definitely represents hufflepuff it's the loyalty. camaraderie friendship loyalty and harry himself represents slytherin and obviously it's largely in part due to voldemort living inside him but he has those dark intrusive thoughts which we get a glance at as him being the narrator we see that more than anybody um and yeah the three of them individually represent the other houses that they aren't actually sorted into themselves. Yeah. And Harry, like, you know, I feel like to be a main character, to be a a good main character, you have to have the ambition, which is what Slytherin to Mm -hmm. go up against whatever you're up against, you know, but that's at the same time, that's like bravery though. That's something that pushes them in the right direction. That kind of, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember when Harry's serving detention with Gildoray Lockhart? Mm -hmm. Well, here is some incredibly heavy foreshadowing that is in the books that is missed in the movies. Um, while Harry is doing autographs with Lockhart, Ron also had to serve detention. His detention is served with Filch. He is polishing trophies in the uh, trophy room. One of them is a trophy for Tom Riddle for heroic acts um, or something along those lines for the school, say helping the school. Um now, Ron, a common thing seen throughout the books, has throwaway lines that are presented as jokes, basically, that turn out to be entirely true. It is uh, heavily theorized that he himself is very strong with divination and is very good at predicting the future. And you could argue JK just wanted to use him as a tool for foreshadowing, but others argue that he is in touch with uh, the future. He is a seer. Um, he's cleaning the trophy for Tom Riddle and uh, he jokes that it was for killing Moaning Myrtle. And in uh, fact, Tom Riddle did kill Moaning yes. Myrtle and he received that trophy because he did not um, obviously take the blame for it, but he uh, blamed Hagrid for opening yep. the Chamber of Secrets and getting Myrtle killed. Mm-hmm. Um, when in fact it was Tom Riddle that did this murder and got oh. the award because of murdering Moaning Myrtle. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. There is a lot of lines that Ron says in the books that wind up becoming true later on, especially the third, which dives heavily into divination. If I'm Moaning Myrtle, I gotta be pissed. Like, just like the most angry person ever. <laughs> like, you're just chilling in the bathroom, you know, crying a little bit, and then you're dead. A lot of it. <laughs> A lot of it. Oh. <laughs> it's a lot of crying. <laughs> like, um, oh, there, was a, there was something I wrote in my notes, and I'll have to find it later. But why did he kill? Why did he kill Moaning Myrtle? Was it just to just just the basilisk because? required a uh, like a tribute or something Sacrifice. to actually open the chamber or something along those lines? Um, oh, it was okay. meant to be unleashed against all the Muggleborns in the school. She being the first victim of the basilisk. Oh, because she's Muggleborn, right? Yeah. Or, okay. Hmm. Wait. Then why is Ginny the the next one? 
when she's um she's not meant to be a victim she's meant to be the tool that brings voldemort back to life by sharing herself with the book plus um or no yeah no the weasleys are pure blood but uh yeah she's not meant to be necessarily a victim of the basculus right away she's meant to be the tool used to bring tom riddle back to life but they the pure blood families don't like weasleys because they are muggle-born sympathizers they are supporters of muggles and uh, for that alone the malfoys and other pure blood families that wish to have pure blood purity don't like them yeah like i and i wrote down um <laughs> when, when malfoy like says um calls hermione a mudblood and I'm like bro just said the n-word <laughs> like, like that's like that's the that's the wizard n-word so yeah. like you can't say that yeah would you guys follow the spiders into the deep dark forest no uh, I would not. I would not be. Uh, <laughs> I would not be a main character in this story. <laughs> if I call um, up against a fucking twenty foot arachnid or a tarantula, you'd shit yourself. I would shit myself. It starts speaking to me. <laughs> I like, don't care. <laughs> no. I don't care who you are. Like if if you're not shitting your pants, I don't. I, don't know. I can't trust you. You know. Okay. So one thing I always notice from these movies is why is it always the new teacher that's the fucking bad guy? Well, I wouldn't, say Gilderoy's, <laughs> I wouldn't say Gilderoy's a, a bad guy. I'd yeah, say I know, he's, but like if you... There's, I, I always question, which I found this out, um, I always question why there was a new Defense of the, Against the Dark Arts teacher. Yeah. And that's because <clears throat> Voldemort hexed the, 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 the position, right? Yes, he did. Because he was jealous and upset that he didn't get it because he wanted it. I know, I know we have eight movies to like think about this, but like... Why does Voldemort hate everything? Like, I'm trying to think because, like, now now that you said that, like, it sounds like oh, he wanted to kind of be part of the wizard world and like be friendly with everyone, so he wasn't always like a dickhead. There is reasoning for him being so awful and why he cannot feel love, why he is so full of hate and all this, and that is because of the way he was conceived. Um, in the books, it is shown that uh, he was conceived when his mother uh, really started to fall for this muggle-born person. Um, they were from this weird, poor family in uh, their town that they were living in. They were literally like the black sheep of this town. No one associated with them. But she fell in love with this one muggle man who did not feel the same way about her. Um, she ended up giving him love potions and conceived the child that way. And uh, it is said that, you know, when children are conceived because of the effects of a love potion, there are, they, they themselves cannot experience love. They do not love. Um, So that is why he is so messed up and full of hate because he was conceived because of the effects of a love potion. Yeah, JK plays kind of fast and loose with like yeah. the definitions of love and you know, yeah, because like but... you know, like, or shoehorning it in, you know, where like because like the, the how he how Harry wins in the end in the first one is with love mm-hmm. because his hands burned Quirrell's face. I thought it was a little dumb, but it's a kids' movie, so well. So the reason that Voldemort bor- burned then is because of the same reason he didn't die at the very beginning um, is because the mother's protection, she sacrificed herself for her child. And that alone um, is what's protecting Harry until he becomes an adult. 
um, which is why they make a big deal about him turning 17 is like, that's when he's no longer safe from Voldemort. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I will say it's kind of a not greatly thought out idea because I'm sure there are other examples of mothers sacrificing themselves for their children at some point in history. Um, well, Neville. But, well, yes. Uh, well, his parents don't die. Oh, they, they didn't? No, they, they didn't die. They were tortured to the point of mental break, but they spend their days in St. Mungo's Hospital. Um, they are alive. They are just fully mentally incapacitated. They're basically, oh. their minds are gone because of the effects of withstanding Bellatrix's Cruciatus curse for extended periods of time. They're basically tortured into mental anguish. Jesus. Damn, that's dark. Fucking yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, and it's really dark in the books when Neville goes to visit his parents at the oh. hospital and they have no clue who he is. Oh, Ugh. Yeah, that'd be um, great for the TV they do show. show that in that would be, yeah, that would the be books. cool for a TV show. Yeah, they also see Gilderoy <laughs> Lockhart, who has no memory because he's in the same ward as Neville's parents. Um, oh yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so are all yeah, so all of Gilderoy's victims in the hospital too? Uh that's unclear. I, it's it, presumably Gilderoy doesn't wipe their entire mind; just the parts of uh, the accomplishments he's trying to steal. Yeah, so he just yeah he just went overboard with the whole um, yeah yeah with the, with Ron's wand yeah 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 backfired because it was broken and yeah all right we're uh, coming on the end here so let's let's get to the end of this movie so we got the basilisk we got okay first of all I have one little thing about the basilisk so when it's chasing Harry through these like tunnels or whatever and like Harry's hiding he just throws a rock and the basilisk just falls for it like that. Same the basilisk is blind. It is blind. Yeah, fo- uh, yes. fox. Um, yeah, the blinded phoenix him. comes in and claws his eyes out. Oh, yeah, right at the beginning. Blind that right, that was after that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is a little, uh, a little contrived because yeah, fox just shows up. Fox is the goat. He's the yeah. goat. He's he's cool. I like him. Um, <clears> there <throat> is a reason fox shows up. Did, um, yeah, Dumbledore phoenix, sent him, right? Well, no, Dumbledore doesn't send him. Phoenixes are shown to be fiercely loyal to their owners, and when someone else exhibits that same loyalty, they will come to them. And that is why Fox came, because Harry showed immense support and loyalty to Dumbledore in yep. that moment. Um, okay. So but that how is the show reasoning support, for though? Fox showing up. How do these show support, though? Like, for- um, Because Tom Riddle wants Harry to help him and join him, and Harry's like, no way, Jose. I like Dumbledore or something. I'm a good guy. I don't fully know. (laughs) I think it might have been fleshed out better in the books. Probably. But it's because of his loyalty to Dumbledore that Fox shows up. So one more thing I want to bring up is that I'm a little confused as to why and how Voldemort can appear as a tangible person when he couldn't in the first one. And but he's attached to the diary. I'm just a little yeah. confused on like this. The I know diaries of Horcrux. Yeah, I know this is it's like a soft world or soft world building and soft magic system. Mm-hmm. But like, I'd like a little because like consistency because like he can't. Why couldn't he just? Is it just because he's the the Horcrux is there? Like why couldn't he just live as Tom Riddle and carry around the Horcrux with him at all times and just be tangible? The way that it is in the books anyway is that Ginny pouring herself and her thoughts and her life basically into a diary is what is fueling uh, Voldemort's return Um, basically it is her 
giving her physical self up over time unknowingly so he could resume her physical form, which is why she's slowly just dying at the very end for no other reason other than that the Horcrux is consuming her and allowing Voldemort to come back in a physical form okay, because that, of that it consuming Ginny's mind and soul and body. Okay. I like, I like So that's explained in the book. It just wasn't that clear. In yeah. The movie, which I think that's kind of hard to explain. I mean, yeah, especially when the idea of Horcruxes hasn't even been introduced at that point, you could argue that she knew this was going to be a Horcrux from the end, or you could say she just made it up as she went along. Who knows? But it's not fully well established at this point in the series just yet. But um, especially later on, we find out that's what was happening here. Yeah. All right. I think uh, let's let's rate this movie. How about that? Uh, James, let's start again. Out of 100. So I love Chamber of Secrets as a kid. Uh, when I was growing up, I always said it was my favorite one. Now I'm not so sure if it's my favorite but i still really enjoy it as it's one of the most faithful to the books obviously not entirely they never are that faithful to the books but i'd say it was the most and for that alone i'd give this uh 86 okay i'd say i'd say this is like the weakest one out of all the harry potter movies in my opinion uh maybe it's just because of the pure amount of times i've seen this one and it's like maybe yeah I don't know, but I'm not really impressed when I watch this movie. Like, I'm impressed with the CGI, which we didn't mention before. Oh, um, yeah. Like, technically, this is a very well put together movie, but I think because it just feels, yeah, it just feels kind of episodic and like you know, I, I we can, I feel I feel okay skipping through portions of this, and I I don't feel like I miss any story. So I'm gonna give this one like a 75. This movie is the one I've seen I think the least amount of times. Um, I remember James. I remember watching this drunk with you in college. It was either this one or it was uh, Sorcerer's Stone. It was both of them. I don't know. Yeah. We were going to try and go through all the movies watching them drunk, but uh-huh. uh, that never happened. <laughs> but I yeah. again, there's so much of this movie that it's just like, yeah, it's another good one with the kids all showing how they uh, they're growing up together, and it works pretty well. And the world building still is very well done in this movie, but it's just kind of long. I think there's a lot of stuff they probably could have cut from this movie. Yeah, like it's another two and a half hour movie. Exactly. Um, it's one of the longest movies, despite being one of the shortest <clears throat> books. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is why it can be so accurate to the books at times. Um, yeah. Most of the points of the books are there. Yeah. And for that, I think this one's going to be, it's going to be a 79 for me. Like it's still a very good movie. It's just, just a little long. I think the content all that's all there is really good for the majority of the movie though. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Well, we are seen it before. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok with the handle at seen it before cast. That's S C E N E it before cast and Twitter with the handle at sib underscore pod. That's S-I-B underscore pod. I'm Dan. I'm Danny. You can find me on Instagram at Danny underscore Wass, my letterbox at DJ Wass, or my YouTube channel, which is Danny Wass. Um, And yeah, James, do you have anything to plug? Uh, I don't, other than just saying thank you for having me. Yeah, we'll we'll see you again next week for the third and fourth Harry Potter movies. Uh, So these, I think these two are my favorites of the series. I like both. Azkaban, I think, is my favorite. At least as a kid, I watched it so many times, and I I loved it every time. And I cannot wait for that one. So, 
It's been an honor. Tune in next week for Prisoner of Azkaban and the Goblet of Fire.